right, Pete Giuliano. It is Sun Monday, Monday, September 4th, 2023. Pete, what's the number? Uh, to introduce a little bit about conspiracy theory, if you take two times four, you get eight. So it's sort of smoke 248. <laughs> crank it in, you Robert. Better watch out. If, crank it in, if Ralph. It ever, yeah, crank it in, guys. And if it ever comes up to be number 17, then we'll know oh, something is yeah. really going yeah. on. All right, welcome back, Pete, and welcome back to all the Solder Smoke listeners. I'm sorry we've been away for a while, but it's been summertime. Yeah. Pete, you, you've had all kinds of additional responsibilities. Yeah. And I've been I've been traveling a little bit. Just traveling a little bit. Hold on a second, and I gotta get I'm gonna get your your one screen out of the way. There I can see myself now. Look at that. Hey, um anyway, I was down in the Dominican Republic from the 3rd through the 9th of August. That's part of the excuse, but part of it is just summertime. People stop looking at podcasts and listening to podcasts, doing other things. But today's Labor Day, the unofficial end of summer. Although it's going to be over 100 degrees here in the D.C. area today. Summer, right. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so we're staying inside. Um, But I was away. I was in the Dominican Republic from the 3rd through the 9th of August. And, you know, while I was there... I was thinking about, I didn't bring any radio gear with me this time because it was a relatively short trip and it was mostly kind of elder care trip, but um, I was thinking at least about M0NTV's video on mixers. And Nick the Vic did a really interesting video in which he compared different mixers and um, it was uh, it was interesting. And one of the things he did that I really liked was he used the the tiny SA to look at the output of the mixers. And that in itself was really interesting, but it got me thinking about using the tiny SA to look at the output of my entire transceiver and to see how well the, the I 1015, was... The 1015? The 1015? Yeah, the 1015. Also, the 1712 and even the Mythbuster Ooh. at 7520. I'll talk about that in a minute. Um, continuing the travelogue, though, uh, one thing we found when we were down in the Dominican Republic was that Solder Smoke Shack South is almost done. Ooh. Got, and uh, it, lo- it looks like just like we planned it to be. It looks really, really nice. So I have a question for you and for the rest of the Illuminati, Let, the rest of the group, Pete. I have to figure out how to set up the benches, the desks. Now, there's going to be two, one on either side of the Solder Smoke Shack South. One will obviously be the operating position where finished or almost finished rigs go to get on the air. The other will be the workbench. Now, the question I have for the group is how high should the workbench be? Because I have behind me here, you guys can, can see, those of you who are equipped with video equipment, can say oh by the way i'm wearing my i'm wearing oh, yeah, bling yeah, there you go. lamican bling yeah. and i've got the uh coffee gun. um k4rc from from dino right there all right but anyway so this bench elisa gave it to me for a uh, father's day gift many many years ago and it's a standard workshop bench it's a lot it's a bit higher it's quite a bit higher it's made i think mostly for woodworking where where, where the 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 guy who's using the bench is standing up when he's cutting the two by four or whatever he's doing. I'm not sure whether that's the right height for a workbench that's really oriented towards our kind of radio electronic home brewing. 
I've often found myself thinking it would be easier if I, would, if I could just sit down in front of the bench and work. As a matter of fact, most of the time I do sit down, but I have to raise the seat up to, to, to be at the proper height there. So here's the question for the group. Should it be ordinary desk height or should it be ordinary workbench height? What do you think, Pete? Well, actually, I have some experience of this, <laughs> believe it or not. I knew you would. <laughs> That's why I'm asking. Believe it or not. When I built the microelectronics center in St. Louis, uh, we had to install all kind of workbenches in the clean rooms. And we went through the same analysis, and we came to the conclusion, 39 inches. 39, 39. inches. One meter. One meter. One meter. 39.37 mm-hmm. inches. And the reason for this is most of the time the work was being done standing up. However, we did purchase some uh, stools so that if they needed right. to sit, you had the stool there. As a matter of fact, they have some some of the stools on rollers so that they were in the clean space. But 39 inches seemed to be optimal, especially where you're doing some stuff. Now, for instance, you may want to look at an analysis of how much you stand versus how much you sit. For instance, yeah. your test gear is, is above, is high. And we had situations like that where they had test gear and they needed to reach it. So they were standing right. to, to make right. those adjustments. So you might want to look at that 39-inch. But that was the standard we adopted. So we made everything in the clean space. And it was like three, 400 benches. And they were all made out of stainless steel. Wow, made, there's a lot of benches. A lot of benches. And so yeah. they were all 39 inches, one meter. And and when we initially came to 39 inches, I said, where, where does 39 inches come from? And some guy from overseas says... One meter. <laughs> Hold on a second. One second. Wait a second. I want to. I want to grab my yardstick. Yeah, Hold one on. meter. <laughs> one meter. This is dead air time, so I'll just talk here. You can never have dead air, and so I'm talking there while Bill looks for the yardstick. He's looking for something because it's thirty-six okay, inches. Thirty-six it. inches. All right, so I have a yardstick, not a meter stick. And the bench, the bench that I've been talking about is just at 34 inches. So you're talking about considerably, yeah. considerably higher. 39 inches. Wow, I don't know. Uh, we'll have to see, because I'm, I'm, I'm more inclined to sit down these days. And I can put the test gear wherever I want yeah. it. I mean, I can put so, the test I mean, gear whatever height we, I want. We were looking at the workstation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wh- what they were doing with the, th- the processes and where the equipment was, etc. So use that as a starting point. At least you know 39 inches. Now you're saying that's too high. So you go down from there. Yeah, but it, because um, you're, you're talking about workstations with, with, with stools. And I, I'm talking about much more leisurely yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> sitting okay. down okay. and building. Just a piece right, of so information see, from industry. There you go. That's that. No, that's really useful. That, that's 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 interesting. The other thing I have to think about is, you know, if I was just going to buy standard tables, it'd be much easier to get them at sort of standard desk height. And I think standard desk height's even 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 lower than that. Standard yeah, the desk here, this, this workstation. Yeah, 33, 34. Yeah. I don't know. No, that's even that's pretty high. That's this 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 workbench is at 34. So I'm not sure. We'll have to see. I, I got. I got to see what I what I could get. But anyway, the solder smoke shack south. It's it's almost done. One other thing: when you get those benches, utility outlets on the front. 
Yep. Utility outlets on the front so you can <laughs> plug in test gear. I know. Yeah. I know. You, just, you don't have to be reaching yeah, underneath yeah, under yeah, it all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, all right, really good. Hey, um, another thing. Another, I guess this falls into the category of travelogue, but my son came back from Boston and for, for a couple of days, and while he was here, we decided we were going to go see the movie Oppenheimer which is, you know, all the rage. It's called Oppenhype now, or, or Barbenheimer with the Barbie movie. We didn't see the Barbie movie, but we went to see Oppenheimer. And I, there was only the one, it was, it was, it was pretty, pretty good, really interesting. But the scene about the, the test that they did at Trinity, where they were trying to see if this thing would work. Now, only, I think, those of us who are home brewers could really identify with and understand what was going on so in the movie they talk a lot about how these guys at the last minute decided that there was a chance that they could ignite the atmosphere with the test you know and kill everybody on the planet but you know you could almost sense i i i think this is something we could understand these dudes were real willing to risk it because they wanted to <laughs> yeah, see if that, work. if that thing would work <laughs> <laughs> and I could just, I could just see most hams making the same kind of decision. And we, on a smaller scale, we make these kind of decisions almost every day. You're looking at this thing, you're thinking, if I try this, there's a good chance that this whole thing's going to blow up and go up in flames. But I wonder if it works. So what the heck? Yeah. Boom, you move forward. Yeah. Boom. Sometimes it does. Hey, you know why you mentioned that? Every time I hear a ham that lives in New Mexico... I, I always wonder if they've, <laughs> they've been affected by radiation. I mean, are, are those places safe to go in? I mean, it's been it's been seventy five years. I think seventy five. I think you could visit the Trinity site, and, I, and I've talked to a number of guys over the years who've gone out there and visited it. I guess you can. I don't know. I mean, you could visit well, I'd bring my Hiroshima, and Nagasaki, <laughs> Nagasaki. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, they wanted to see if it would work. Anyway, it was pretty cool. And there was a lot of old boat anchor-ish test gear floating around in the movie when they were talking about the Trinity tests and just just really pretty cool. Um, hey, I, I, one just, other thing. This just one thing I want to mention about Nagasaki. My father-in-law was uh, on, a, on a ship that was a, was a minesweeper. And he, he was the second ship to go in. Actually, the first ship blew up, but they swept... Tokyo Bay, so they could yeah. have the surrender. Yeah, and you know the the mighty Mo came in there. But after that, yep. they cruised down to past Nagasaki and Hiroshima, and they looked through the binoculars. They said they didn't see anything. <laughs> I mean, it was yeah, it was flat as a pancake. They they said yeah. they just yeah, yeah. it took them. He said I saw it firsthand. You know, the, the wow. aftermath. So yeah. amazing. That's something. Yeah, yeah. Hey, um. Listen, one thing I want to ask, this is sort of related to travelogue. It's loosely related. But a while back, um, we got an offer. Somebody said, Kay, Kay, uh, Kay said that she wanted to, to make sure that ham radio sites were properly archived on the Wayback Machine. And so I immediately jumped in and said, please archive all of the Solder Smoke podcasts, which they have done, which is great. But the other thing I asked, I did a follow-up. I said, please archive the Solder Smoke Daily News blog because this thing has been in operation since, oh, since at least 2018. And, uh, and I've never really been convinced that there's a good archive of it out there. 
This is kind of disturbing because lately we've seen stuff that we thought was kind of forever on the internet just poof, being discontinued, or as they like to say, deprecated. I hate that word, deprecated. Anyway, so I was worried about this, so I said, can we get the uh, the Solder Smoke blog archived and protected on the Wayback Machine? And I got a message back saying, yeah, it had been done, but then I looked, and it looked to me like it was kind of scattered. Like some of the, like if you went for some dates, you'd find it, and some dates not. And, and also, the thing that happens a lot of times is the, the text will be archived, but not the pictures that go along with it. And, of course, the pictures and diagrams are, are almost as, as important. So I wish some of the digital sleuths out there will take a look at this and let me know whether this thing has actually been completely uh, archived on the Wayback Machine going back to 2018. It, it, let me know, and I'll, I'll get in touch with Kay. She's been really super helpful and just we're, we're looking for any gaps that might exist in the in the Wayback Machine arc, Internet Archive coverage of the Solder Smoke Daily News blog. So we'd appreciate some feedback on that. Hey, Pete, can we talk about my bench? Oh, yeah, go. All right, man. I, it, all, all kinds of good stuff been going on. You know, you mentioned the 1510 rig, and I have been working a lot of DX with the 1510 rig, mostly on 15 meters. Um I've I haven't been on 15 in a long long time but with this new rig I uh, which I've described pretty extensively on the blog and in YouTube videos I have put it on the air with the uh, EB63A 0.1 kilowatt amplifier and the um, and the uh, the hex beam for which I bought recently the 15 and 10 meter elements and man good DX Pete I had never worked Indonesia before. I worked Indonesia with this thing several times. Lots of Australian contacts, lots of Japan contacts, which is, I know it's no trick for you, for you guys on the West Coast, but from, from over here, oh, yeah. it's kind of yeah, difficult. Yeah. Even worked Hawaii the other day. I never worked Hawaii before. You guys probably work Hawaii all the time, but I, 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 I heard Hawaii on during the Hawaii, Hawaii QSO party and worked them. So lots of fun, lots of good DX. Indonesia is especially cool because for me it's basically right over the pole. It's on the other side, just south of the equator. Really pretty cool. But you know, with all the good luck I've been having with these things, M0 NTV Nick the Vic caused me to take a look with the tiny essay because I have a, a rudimentary spectrum analyzer there, which I mean, some people say it's a you know it's a toy. Some people say it's a piece of t- serious test gear. I think it's pretty good. So I hook up the uh, the tiny SA to look at the output of the, let's start with the 1510 rig. Now there's two ways to do this. One is through a dummy load, which is important because you don't want to blow up the tiny SA. So I happen to have a, uh, a dummy load that was built for the HP 8640B signal generator. So you could which is also a counter. So you get to watch out for signals coming back in. So the, come, the, the, what came with this rig that Steve Silverman gave me a while back was a big a dummy load that has a, an output on it 30 dB down. So it's a 30 dB dummy load. So it looks like 50 ohms going in, and you hook up another load, hopefully 50 ohms, on the other side, which is the tiny SA, and this thing is protected because whatever goes in is going to be knocked down by 30 dB. So 
that's one way of doing it. And I would I would hook this thing up to the uh, EB63A and take a look at, at the output. Um, and I, I must say, yeah, I, w- I wasn't really satisfied. I saw a lot of spurs in there, especially on 10 meters, not so much on 15, but some on 10. And also the harmonics. You could see the, the, the second and third harmonics coming through. The LP filters were ob- obviously not doing everything that they should be doing. I think the standard is 46 dB down from the main signal has to be, you know? So anyway, this this started me thinking... And I, and I did similar tests then with the 1712 rig with kind of similar results there. And then uh, also I went and took a look at the, uh, the Mythbuster, which is 75 and 20 meters. And it looked pretty good on, seven, on, on 20 meters. So I wasn't worried, too worried about that. But this MB, M, the M0NTV thing started, thinking, started me thinking about what to do about really two sets of problems. First set of problem is the spurs. Now spurs, we're not talking about harmonics coming out of the power amplifier. We're talking about spurs. And I, I would notice the spurs at different points. Let's just for the moment stick to the 1510 rig. And I would notice the spurs kicking up, especially on 10 meters, not so much on 15, but on mostly on, on 10. And I came to the conclusion there that part of the problem was that on 10 meters, that EB63A amplifier was starting to kind of oscillate a little bit. And that was, a, that was causing some trouble. And uh, getting it stable, getting it, getting it back to stability was a bit difficult. And I turned on this to Allison, KB1GMX, and she she helped an awful lot. Um, she um, she gave me a lot of a, a guidance on what to do, and she w- she really pointed out that life is more difficult on ten meters than it is on twenty. That amplifiers have a tendency to take off more than on the higher frequency. As you get up into the ten meter area, things become a lot more sensitive. I sent her some pictures of my layout on the EB sixty three A, and I must say. I warned her beforehand it could cause a, so sort of a shock reaction <laughs> on the part of somebody who's a real RF engineer like she is. Uh, so she gave me some pointers on improving the layout, improving the bypassing and all that stuff. And I, I, I played with it a lot. And you do have to play around with it a lot. You have to experiment. The tiny SA is good because you can do a lot of before and after t- t- kind of testing. But I came to the conclusion that that I was going to get this kind of feedback as long as I had the the low pass filter in the same box with the amplifier, right? So when I took it out, I I ended up with low pass filters that I built in a separate box. So I'm going to hold up to the camera here one of them, right? So there's a little box, and I have the top part of it also there. This is one that I built for 20 meters, and now I can just hook it up from the output of the EB63A to the antenna. And I can basically do an external hookup for the uh, the low pass filter, and that solved a lot of the stability problem. So the the other problem was, had to do with the bandpass filter. That so that that's sort of the low pass filter problem, and I, I think I've I've licked that basically by knocking down the oscillations and coming up with uh, low pass filters 
using the W3NQN design. I know you like this one. GQRP has it up on their website. So it, it's steeper. And the skirt is, is steeper. And anyway, the, this is um, something that, uh, that, that I tried to, tried to use and use it to good effect. But the other problem had to do with the bandpass filters. And this is something that Farhan mentioned to me. And at first, I really didn't understand what he was talking about. But what he was saying was that depending on the configuration of the bandpass filter, you'll end up with a filter that has the steeper skirt either at the lower frequency side or at the higher frequency side. So in other words, I have a picture of this. Picture's worth a thousand words. I have a picture, pictures of these two different kinds of filters that I, that I use for bandpass filters up on the, um, on the blog page. You could take a look. But it, basically what it comes down to is that when you're doing dual band rigs like this, you're going to come out with outputs from the mixer that are either the sum or the difference of the IF, uh, uh, sum or difference of the signal you're putting in and the VFO, right? So you want uh, uh, when you when you turn on one band, you want to knock down one side band, one one side of this. When you turn on the other band, you want to knock down the other. And it helps if you have the filter configured properly. So you really need two different configurations. And the pictures show the two different configurations. So I was pretty, I was in pretty good shape. For example, on the on the fifteen ten rig, my my fifteen meter twenty one megahertz filter was configured properly, with the steep skirt on the high end, right? Because I, I needed to knock down twenty eight. However, the other one was the same kind of filter. And it wasn't doing an adequate job. It wasn't adequately knocking down the 21 megahertz signal that I needed to knock down. So I, I switched and I built a different figure, different filter with a different configuration to put the uh, the skirt there on 10 meters on the low side of the uh, of the the bandpass. So that that helped quite a bit. So doing all these things, I'm I'm getting to the point where I'm going to be satisfied with. The, the signal purity of the the outputs here. One thing I'd mention, you know, spurs, you know, <laughs> this is the bane of the super hat, right? And single conversion, you get a certain number of spurs. Double conversion, you get a lot more spurs. Spurs really are basically harmonics of all the different oscillators you have going on in there. Every time you add a different oscillator, you get more more spurs. So on a single conversion rig, you're talking about spurs from the VFO, Spurs from the carrier, uh, harmonics from the VFO, harmonics from the carrier oscillator, and then the interaction of, of all these things. They could start interacting. So you get third order, uh, third order signals that are coming out that are like twice the oscillator frequency and, 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 the, and the primary frequency that you're dealing with. But the, I think the, the tiny SA helps you because a lot of these spurs will be so far down if you've built the rig properly. These the spurs will be so far down. If they're down at, at 50 dB below the, um, the signal, you don't really have to worry about it at 50 dB down. It's way down. It's, sometimes they're getting down, they're, they're even in the noise. So anyway, that's, um, that's what I've been working on with these filters. What do you think, Pete? I mean, uh, about this kind of filter mania that I've been involved in. Well, it, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, you know, obviously when you 
put a signal on the air, you want to make sure it's on the frequency that you really intend, <laughs> not somewhere else. Yeah. And and it all boils down to the bandpass and the low-pass filter. So if, if they're not operating at peak efficiency, you're you're going to have the spurs or unwanted mixing products. So I mean, I think I think this is worthwhile. And of course, uh, what you've done now is you set the you set the standard for anything you build in the future. You'll go through the same process, and you'll look at the bandpass yeah, and the low-pass filters. One thing I'd been doing in the past that, that was I think kind of short-sighted of me. I had been relying mostly on my SWR meter. In other words, if I put the rig on 20 meters and I checked the SWR and I found that it was where it should be, if it was down really close to one-to-one, I'd figure, woohoo, I'm in good shape. But that's, you know, I, I could have been putting out signals that are, you know, that with, with spurs splattering up and it down. It wouldn't show. It wouldn't show. I wouldn't oh, know. Yeah. That's where the tiny SA uh, really came in in handy. You know, uh, Pat Hawker, um, G3VA, years ago, he kind of discouraged hams from moving to, to solid-state equipment by saying, look, to do this properly, we need spectrum analyzers, and spectrum analyzers are way too efficient, too expensive for, for hams, so therefore we should stick with tubes. <laughs> you know? Oh, okay. But I don't think he... I, well, obviously we didn't, but... And now we have things like the tiny SA that are that'll that'll provide the same kind of capability. Hey, um, by the way, I I um, I want to go a step beyond with the tiny SA. Now there's the tiny SA Ultra. Dean KK4DAS alerted me to this, so I have put in my order order for a tiny SA Ultra, um, and I'm 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 living dangerously, Pete. I'm living dangerously. I ordered it from AliExpress. Ooh, I know, I know, I know, but but I they only wanted fifty four bucks for it. So anyway, it's coming Remember from AliExpress. Those J three tens. I know, but they're all, all, all this. I know, I know, I know. But I, like I said, I decided to live dangerously. I think it's going to be. I think it's going to be okay. So anyway, we well, have I'll a new tiny SA Ultra you. coming in. Huh? I'll cross my fingers for you. <laughs> you, you know, interestingly enough, uh, there's a uh, SDR project uh, called the uh, Radio Berry, and uh, they had these boards that were being made, and then someone somehow counterfeited the boards and sold them through Alibaba. Everything that didn't work got sold through Alibaba. <laughs> so these guys were, oh, I got a board for 50 bucks, you know, it didn't work. So I hope, oh, no. I hope you have better success than that, but... I will let you know. Keep your keep yeah, keep your fingers crossed. crossed. Hey, you know another tool I've been using, and I know this is somewhat controversial. I know you've had different results with it, but the Nano VNA. When I start looking, when I when I build one of these filters, and I want to say, okay, what does the pass band look like on a on one of the bandpass filters or on the low pass filter? Um, man, I, I I I usually pull the filter out. And we'll just solder in connections, little coaxial connections to either end. I mean, the input and the output on these things are at 50 ohms already, so you don't have to worry about that. You put them in there. And then as long as you have the nano VNA calibrated in the HF range, I mean, it's going to provide a decent-looking passband. And you could tell whether you're getting it right, whether the, what, what, is the, what is the cutoff point on the low-pass filter? Is it too high? Is it too low? 
that's another mistake I was making. I was, for example, if I was building a, um, a, a 20 meter rig, I would say, oh, what is the cutoff frequency? Oh, well, I just need to cut off, you know, 15, the second harmonic 16, at 28, 15, 17, 18. Yeah, but, but, but when you do that, you're reducing the amount of attenuation that you get at the second harmonic, right? So you're much better off if you set it really where you, as low as you can get it. Say, suppose you're doing a 20-meter rig, set that cutoff point at 14.3, right? That way... When you look and you say, oh, and you can see this really clearly on the, on the, on the Nano VNA, you, you move that little dot out to, you know, 28.6 or so, right? And you see, oh, wow, when I have it this way, I'm getting 40 dB of attenuation or 50 dB of attenuation. But if I set the cutoff frequency as I did before, at say 17 or 18, I'm getting 10 dB of attenuation at the second harmonic. Man, ooh, that's not good enough. So there, there's a there's a value in in setting it as close as possible. And again, the the, the Nano VNA was the one that um, that that alerted me to this. I've also become a believer in the W3NQN filters. These are basically just the standard old low pass filters that we've been using, but the center inductor is a bit different, and it's got a capacitor across the second inductor. It's not harder to build. It's, it's about equally hard to build as the others, but it does give you a much steeper skirt, a much greater attenuation of that second harmonic. So, yeah, three cheers for W3NQN's uh, uh, filters. And I've got a link. And they've got, the GQRP Club has got a really good link to all of his stuff on their their page yeah you know uh, um, just a short point here if you take the three nqn filters and put them in lt spice it really gives you a feel of making changes i mean just to visually see if you change this yep. what what happens here and i mean you get a real good feel of each component and its contribution you'll you'll find that that center inductor and that center capacitor is huge <laughs> it turns i know it, it is you know, you could you could do something similar using the program Elsie E L S I E, which I use a lot. And Elsie has um, an interesting feature, just along the lines that you're discussing, that allows you to adjust the 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 component. You can go up five percent, down five percent, up one percent, down to down two percent, and then you could watch the impact on the curve as you as you move it. So that that is um, that is really. Uh, really interesting stuff, and I, I agree. This this is a, this is a good example of how useful the software will be when you try to put these filters together, because sometimes you'll build the filter if you didn't test it, man, you're completely off. You had no way of knowing. In the old days, we would just build the filter, throw it in there, and hope for the yeah. best. But now now we 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 don't. Also, you know, when you're winding the 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 toroids, it's it's also really important to have a good LC meter around just just to make make sure. That if, if it's calling for, you know, a 0.5 micro Henry coil, you wind it, you think you got 0.5, and then you put it in the tester and you find out it's 0.7. Oof. You know, you gotta you gotta squeeze or spread out those turns to get it just about e get it just spaced, where you want it. Evenly spaced, yeah. Evenly spaced and all that. Yeah, you gotta you gotta you gotta play with that a little bit. So that's been that's been an interesting experience. Um you know, I, I got to say, Allison, KB1GMX, has been super helpful. She's she's really busy. She's got a lot of stuff going on in her life. But um, 
she'd been been real helpful with this and gave me a lot of good good patient pointers in terms of how to get my amplifiers to stop being oscillators and uh, the eb63a you know it's it's really basic it's really simple but it's doing the job i'm gonna have to buy another amplifier sort of in the similar 0.1 kw class for the solder smoke shack south and i'm tempted to go with another eb63a just because the devil you know is better than the devil you don't you know <laughs> so we'll see what goes on with that hey one other thing i wanted to mention you know I've been I've been making a big deal about how I put these rigs in plywood boxes from the uh, the shipping material of the pandemic treadmill, <clears throat> and I know this bothers a lot of guys because they say right away, "Oh, there's no shielding, no shielding at all," which is true. I mean, plywood <laughs> doesn't provide a whole lot of shielding, um, but up until now, it really hasn't been been a problem, but when the oscillator in the EB63A started to take off, I started to get a sense that some of the RF was getting back into the transceiver, and that was causing the whole oscillator loop. May or may not have been true. It's hard to determine where the Barkhausen criteria are being <laughs> met. <laughs> but, you know, to be on the safe side, I decided to shield up the 1510 transceiver now how are you going to do this if it's already built in a wooden box on a piece of pine board well there's a way you can do it amazon sells this special copper foil tape the tape is three inches wide and i think you get like 25 feet on a roll it's not super expensive one of the cool parts is that it's got conductive glue so if you take and put down one piece of one strip on you know, on the, the inner surface of your plywood box. And then you put down the next strip. As long as it's touching, it forms one sheet of copper. You know, they're selling this thing for Pete. It's really interesting. They're selling it on Amazon for guitar amplifiers, for, for people who are trying to stabilize and to stop oscillations in their guitar amplifiers where you go in and you just put little pieces of it around and it's basically basically rf shield up the box which i think is really interesting but it's it's very useful for our purposes so i i uh i turned my plywood boxes into shielded boxes i've done this before with uh oh, yeah, yeah. micro bit x's and other rigs so i mean that's another tool that we should use and i even checked with with allison on this and i said well, what do you think and she said Copper foil tape is your friend. <laughs> so I went out and bought another two boxes. The other, the other stuff that we've been using is solder wick. Dean and I were talking about this. You start getting used to, especially if you're doing Manhattan board construction on little boards, when you want to link the boards together, sure. you, know, you know, you don't want to put like little pieces of wire. A lot of times people just put a little bit, bit of wire hanging there. You go, God, that's not really a good. But if you take a, a, a wider bit of solder wick or several of them, and, and solder them to either side. They're really easy to solder, and it creates a, a pretty good ground conduction that's probably not going to turn into an inductor on you. So just little little pieces of, of, of advice and, and gear that you could use. Hey, one more thing I want to just mention. You know, Pete, I'm sure you've seen this on the blog. 
but phase noise has reared its ugly head go. again. There you go. There you go. There you go. There you go. And you know what? I, I, I came to realize that I, I really didn't understand it. I'm still not completely sure I have an understanding. So I've been reaching out to people trying to, to, to improve my understanding of what's going on with phase noise. And some people have been super helpful. Wes has been really helpful. Others have been, been helpful in describing the phenomenon of, of phase noise. I think I'm getting there. So, so stay tuned. We, we'll, we'll put something up, up on this. But um, I, I, it's interesting that it's mentioned in EMRFD as sort of like an esoteric thing. Oh, that, yeah, phase noise. Know, Phase noise, yeah, but and Sherwood, Sherwood talks about it. Sherwood, Sherwood says, yeah. yeah, Sherwood, Sherwood mentions it. So these are all good, good data points on it. But we'll continue to work on that. I've got some blog posts about phase noise rearing its ugly head and my efforts to understand phase noise. But uh, um, anyway, <laughs> it's 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 there, and we're we're we're, we're thinking about it. I've got, obviously got more basic problems here. My amplifiers are turning into oscillators, <laughs> but. We're, we're, we're thinking about phase noise. Hey, before we, we turn to your events, Pete, what, it's time for what? Shameless Commerce Division. The Shameless Commerce Division. Yeah, and we've got a lot to report here. The uh, the company, the uh, the international conglomerate, mostly DIYRF, not really, this is our friend uh, Todd out in Portland, uh, is getting ready to, in, to release a kit, the PSSS. Psst. Kit. What is PSST? What does that stand for, Pete? It's Pete's simple sideband transceiver. Pete's simple sideband transceiver. It's in kit form. And I am going to put a picture of this thing up on the blog post so you guys can see. It is beautiful. It is a thing of beauty. Colors. That, that Todd has developed colors. using your schematic. Colors. The colors. It's colors red and black. And black. All kinds of different colors. It's great. So, uh, so take a look at that. Now he's got a target date for the release of this kit. What is the target? The current target well, date, Pete? I thought it was the 18th, but you said the 13th. So I'm not sure. Maybe I, when I looked at the 13th, I saw an 8th. So I thought it was December 18th, but you said the 13th. So I have to. Re- right, maybe I haven't. Maybe I haven't. Maybe I did the same thing too. But it's E. Howard Armstrong's birthday. 133rd. Right? 133rd birthday and you guys can check it out and uh and prepare for the the date when this kit becomes available just go to the website mostly diyrf.com there are links on the on the blog page you guys there's so much good stuff that todd has to offer from the company and it's it's from a real radio amateur you're not dealing with some you know Bezos like international conglomerate. <laughs> Alibaba. Ali, or AliExpress. <laughs> Ali, AliExpress will have you go. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, check out check out uh, Todd's uh, Here, here's company, a bit of mostly DIYRF.com. Here's a bit of trivia for you. If it's the 18th, that's also the birthday of Brad Pitt. So, I mean, this could yeah, be a but this I mean, you can't put dual... him in the same category as E. Howard <laughs> well, Armstrong. I, 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 no, wait a minute. This guy's okay. He's in his sixties. He's got a thirty-year-old girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> so the guy's oh, got man. something going for him. <laughs> that, 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 that's pretty standard out there in Hollywood, yeah. Pete. <laughs> All right. So continuing on, shameless commerce. I, I am I am kind of miffed, miffed, I guess here at um, at Bezos because the Amazon search box 
that I've had for many years up there in the corner of the blog appears to have died. I can't get it back. It's kind of frustrating too because it would be on there for a while and then I'd start getting emails from guys who were trying to use it saying, hey, it's gone. It's not there anymore. And I would check and sure enough, it'd gone. Then I'd do something, it would come back. And then a couple weeks later, it'd be gone again. So who knows what the suits over there at uh, Amazon are doing with this, but I can't get it back. And I noticed there have been some changes in the Amazon Associates uh, program, as they say. So it may be that they've just decided that it's not worth the trouble or they've taken it down or somebody's fiddled with the code and it's disappeared. But if anybody could tell me what happened, you know, there are some explanations from Amazon about this, but they're, they are written in the strange language of software engineers, oh, I must okay. say. They, they use a lot of words, and there's lots and lots of words there. And you read them, and you read them again, and you read them again, and I still don't know what happens. So <laughs> They like to use the word deprecate. Deprecate, yeah, uh, there you go. They deprecate. They, something's been deprecated. So if anybody could tell me what happened with this stuff, and if there's any possible way of putting it back, I'd be willing to do it. Hey, you know, something similar happened with the ads that I had on the, the, the blog page. I had Google ads on there for a long time. And then I decided to get get with it, you know, and put ads on the the the, uh, the YouTube channel. And as soon as I did that, without knowing it, the ads from the blog page disappeared. Apparently, they've got a rule that you could that if, you other? could have your one or the other, and they didn't they didn't let oh. me know that beforehand. Oh man! Anyway, if anybody could figure out how to crack the code on that one, please help this hardware defined radio guy out but listen if all else fails is patreon right you could, you could become a patreon sponsor i want to thank our sponsors we're going to be doing more for the sponsors too um but there's a there's a very loyal group there they provide a lot of support and i'm going to try to send some more stuff to the to the patreon group so you'll find the link on how to become a patreon sponsor up on the uh the upper left hand side of the blog page pete what is on your bench i know you are challenged time-wise uh, okay these days. okay I just wanted to um, share something with you uh, from uh, from Todd's webpage. Did you look at the top masthead, what it says? No, what does it say? It says, parts for hardware-defined radios. <laughs> and that's it, HDR, man. It's becoming a, it's becoming a, a, a thing. Yeah, there you go. I said, when I look at that, I said, Bill must have slipped that in there. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. I just. I, take, I guess it's from just talking I mean, it about just it here on the on, on the podcast. Hey, I, I wanted to. I wanted to grouse a little bit about something that I experienced before I talk about it, the small things that I've been working on. Um, I get emails. I get emails all the time, and people are asking information, or they're asking for uh, various things. And I got an email this past week, which. I don't know, is reflective maybe of our, our current the way people do business. The email says, send me the code. I sent you a copy of that. So I'm saying, well, first of it, it'd be nice. To, please send me the code would be nice. I mean, just... just hey, Pete, how you doing? Yeah, really yeah, like your blog. Yeah, That'd be yeah, nice. Yeah. But which code? <laughs> I mean, it's like it's like someone sending you a request. Send me a bolt and a nut. Well, what size? What thread? You know? How big? How long? So I said, until you tell me which project, I, I got hundreds and hundreds of pieces of code. So 
if you're going to make an inquiry to somebody, whether it's me or anybody else, try to be a little specific. So I had to go back and say, look, I don't know what you want. So he came back and says, well, I want the PSSST code. Well, why don't you say that from the outset? I'd be happy to send it to you, but I don't know what it is. So, I mean, my time is limited, and I don't just don't have a lot of patience with people says, send me the code. Yeah. Which one? No, I, I think there's a, 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 a there's a filter you could use. For yes, it's called archive. archive. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to be responsive, but you got to help me a little bit. If you're gonna, and no matter if it's me or anybody else, when when you're making an inquiry, try to define what you want because it makes makes things kind of difficult. So uh, I, I just I want to grouse a little bit about that, and, and I, I'm well. Let me, let me along the same lines. Let me grouse a little bit too, because sometimes you get emails. From from people and and mo- most most of the time I think they're 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 meaning well, but they'll say things like, um, "I don't really understand the theory that you guys are talking about." Okay, then the second part is, "Why don't you write a book that explains the basic theory that you guys are talking about?" Because I don't understand it. Well, I mean, there's a lot of books been written about that. Yeah. I mean, look behind me. I got a whole small library of them and it really does take some some study and some effort to kind of come to understand the basics of electronics i I just recently picked up a book that i've been meaning to get for a long time and i like it a lot it's called the art of electronics by horowitz and hill and you know it's a good example and they discuss in in here about how if you if you want to get to a level where you can actually use the electronics. It does require some some study. I mean, it doesn't not necessarily a whole full-blown double E course, but you do have to crack the books a little bit and sort of increase your your knowledge of it and 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 it's I sometimes feel like we're being held responsible for people not understanding. You know, in yeah. other words, <laughs> you used a term like such and such and I don't understand that term what that term means. So why don't you just explain it better? Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm saying, damn. Well, the the term is is explained. I mean, you can't. We can't be going back Standard to Ohm's law every yeah. time we, we we talk about this stuff. But anyway, grousing. We're grousing, yeah. Pete. Okay. So if you look behind me, you'll see a response based on solder smoke two forty seven, <laughs> where Bill said he wanted an LCD. With an S meter. Oh, with the S meter. The S meter. You got an S meter yes, there, man. S-meter. That is so cool. S meter. And there's two two things associated with that. If you if you're contemplating doing this, first of, I didn't realize this till a couple of years ago. You 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 can build special characters for LCDs. I mean, you got the standard keyboard characters. You type something in the keyboard, but if you want something different, initially I had the bars as just the bar on the on the standard keyboard but you could hardly see that so i created you can go to to the lcda symbol creator and just with with a little array there they say okay fill in these blocks and then you get the code and you just embed the code in your arduino so that's that's the first thing you notice those blocks are pretty fat slide over a little bit hold on we can't see see, oh yeah there you go okay gotcha oh there you go well there you are so, all right yeah so the fat so you can you can create those 
there's lots of tons of code on the internet that lets you create those blocks so that you can see it. If you just use the standard line, you'd hardly see it. You know, starting standard dash line. So this, right. so that's like four dash lines stacked on on each other. So that's the first thing. The second thing is being able to discriminate. Uh, you can read the voltage on a pin, and then you have to put some if-else logic in there that says if it's a certain level, color in the first block. If it's a bigger level, color in the first and second block. If it's a certain higher level, color the first, second, and third. So there's some discrimination that you have to do that. But it can be done, and actually it looks pretty cool. I mean, you, you could fill in the whole block if you wanted to, but I only chose the middle four so you can do it. So anyway, 247, easy to do. <laughs> <laughs> now, do you need an AGC circuit to hook this thing no, up to? No, no. And I'll tell you what I've done. Our 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 good friends at the GQRP Club they actually built a um, one of my transceiver projects and they so, sort of um, modified it somewhere. And Steve Hartley has this circuit because he was leading that group. And you sample the audio, and it creates... Uh, Audio-derived audio estimator, yeah. audio-derived yeah. estimator. So it has a real simple circuit, one one transistor, a couple diodes, a couple resistors, a couple capacitors, and I've, I've used that, and it works just fine. And it's got a little pot, so you can adjust the level so that when you get an S9 signal, it's going to show up at S9 air. So you, you can Pretty do, cool, Pete. Pretty cool. I just got to get it with one of those meters that moves up and down like this, you know? Well, you can do that, too. Easy to do. <laughs> Easy to do. Easy to do. I'm only, I'm only kidding you. That's, that's really, that's really beautiful. Thanks for doing Easy that. Easy to do. Easy to do. <laughs> you know, on the 1510 rig, I haven't, I have not put in the 16 by two frequency counter display yet. I'm still stuck with the piece of, uh, of masking tape with the numbers written on it that you commented about. Well, that's cool. It, it's not quite cut. Except. It, though. <laughs> Except I sent you a link to a national HRO dial mechanism. I, I saw that. I saw that. I mean, that'd, look, that'd go perfect with that. I mean, that'd go perfect in that, but it's bigger than the whole rig. <laughs> and probably a lot more expensive, well, too. It's only 60 bucks. I mean. It's <laughs> more expensive than the rig, I think. There you go. So, hey, so what you also you've also been been pulled in, Pete. I've seen six BA six mania yes, at N six QW. Yes. What's going on there? Well, I'm I'm trying to work on a, a project here to develop a fourteen tube SSB transceiver using nothing but six BA sixes in every one of the sockets. Fourteen tubes. Fourteen tubes, and I have pretty much defined all the individual circuits. And I've started to build some of the circuits, but my time is very limited. The first circuit I built was the audio amplifier. And you can actually use a 6BA6 as an output tube. It's got a 3-watt th plate dissipation. So with the right kind of transformer and the right kind of biasing, you can get maybe close to a half a watt to a watt output out of a 6BA6. That's, well, more, that's, well, enough. that's enough. That's enough. Right I mean, there. that's like an LM386, you know. There you go. Yeah. You're good. So I've I've got all the circuits pretty much developed, and now I'm trying to lay out some of the boards. So that that is, with the time constraints I have, that's pretty difficult to do. But and the other thing I ran into the problem here in the last couple of weeks, it's been like 96 degrees <laughs> in the garage. I mean, it's like working in the sauna. Oh man! And so I said that ain't gonna work. So I'm I'm waiting for real cool weather, although we're starting to see a change here. So I'll get back and actually build some. Now, the, the 6BA6 thermotrons are not going to help in that regard. Well, well yeah. They're <laughs> adding to the heat. Yeah. <laughs> and the other thing is I have a, a, a actually a, 
a PTO out of a Collins KWM1. It's got a 6BA6 in it, so that's going to be the frequency determined. So it'll be pretty, pretty, pretty stable. Before I forget, what's the tube that, P, that that Dean is looking for? 1L6. 1L6. Or 1U6. 1U6. 1U6 if anybody or 1L6. Else, if anybody out there has a, a 1U6 or a 1L6, L6, yeah. let us know because Dean needs he, one. He's looking for the 1L6, but you can sub a 1U6 for a 1L6. It'll work in the circuit. So you many times I'll right, say good. like, for instance, you can put a 6BA6 for a 6AU6, although uh, some of the internal wiring is a little bit different. The pins 2 and 7 are swapped. What's on pin 2 and pin 7 for 6AU6 is different for 6BA6, so you may have to do some socket changes at the uh, wiring of the socket. It may be a little different. Okay, the other thing I did, I did work on fixing something, and, you know, it's uh, it's interesting how something that we do and we have a goal will end up ultimately coming back and bite you. Uh, about 11, 12 years ago, I had a project that was written up in QRP Quarterly called the Shirt Pocket Transceiver. I built two versions of that. One right. was, you needed a big shirt pocket. That one was like uh, three by four by five, which was quite, a, quite an accomplishment at the time. I thought, man, I shrunk this down. No, you just took out you took out the uh, the, the pocket the holder <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, the, yeah. and, the, and the slide so, rule. And you're so good. then I built the second version. The second version is two by two by four. They're basically the same circuit, except I left some things out of the second version, like the receiver RF amplifier just ran out of space. But when you build compact like that, you never know. And so I was in there poking around trying to trace something, and the screwdriver got across something, and I had this <laughs> magic puff of smoke. <laughs> And I wiped out the SI fifty three fifty one and the and the uh, TFT and what have you. I mean, it went up big time. <laughs> there you go, there you go, ladies and gentlemen. Pete Giuliano smoke. occasionally releases smoke. the magic smoke. smoke. Yeah. We all do. Yeah. So so anyway, I pulled it out of the box and and I rebuilt it and I had to put a new display and I got to work on it again. So, but it's kind of interesting is sometimes when you try to make things so compact. There's not a lot of room in there, and if you're not careful, you're going to smoke something because it's real hard not to touch yeah. touch two components to it. And I mean, I ran 12 volts through everything <laughs> and smoked everything. <laughs> so, that, but I did get to work on that. So that's uh, primarily what I've been involved with. Of course, my my time is very limited, and I kind of envy you all these little things that you're doing because you got the time to do them. So uh, enjoy. I know. I am, yeah, yeah, for, yeah. For now, yeah. Hey, but you you put the you put a you went on the air with a with a QRP SSB rig. It worked somebody with that thing, right? Was yeah, that with the six BA six? No, that was with the shirt pocket transceiver, which is. Oh, okay. You got it on the yeah, air, and you you, two you watts. work it, and, and, and so people I'm, were astonished. Yeah, so I'm and I worked I worked the station in the Midwest for two watts. So I'm saying the six BA six. If I can get two watts out of that, that tells you. Two watts is two watts. Doesn't matter whether it's coming out of a tube or it's coming out of a solid state right. trans transmitter. So, uh, I'm I'm hopeful the six BA six running barefoot at two watts will be good. There you go. You'll be fine. You know, and the thing is, people are astonished on two levels. One that it's QRP, but even more, I guess, profoundly, they're astonished that you're using a homebrew rig. Which you know, you're starting to run into the point where people don't really understand that that's possible i mean it's a generational thing but you, you do run into people who will be kind of 
surprised. They don't really know what you mean when you say homebrew rig. They'll, what kid they'll ask, is it? Well, what kind of what kid? What kind of kid, kid is that? Is yeah, yeah. No, there is no kid. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I think when when I say it's in a plywood box, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you, there you go. Yeah. Um, well, excellent. Good stuff. I'm I'm glad you're you're able to melt some solder even with your limited time there, Pete. So 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 keep it up. The uh, the, the the solder smoke community is very grateful to hear about it. Hey, time for mailbag. Yes. First, we got the, we got a message from our good friend down in Orlando, Walter KA4KXX, and he put a great article out about home brewing. It's in the September 2023 QCWA Journal. I'm going to try to put a link to the article up there, but if you guys can't get the link, if I can, if I fail somehow, try to get the QCWA Journal. Sign up for it, and um, Walter really kind of captures the essence of, of home brewing and, and the fun of, of home brewing. And I, I really I really liked what, what he wrote. Sort of along the same lines, Steve, KC1QAY, in response to a previous uh, Solder Smoke podcast, he, he asked if I had any 3579 crystals left. And I did have a few. I think we distributed about 40 or 50 of them. But I had another one. And I tested it, and it, I could get it to oscillate at 3579. So I sent it to Steve along with a note saying, Welcome to the CBLA, the Color Burst Liberation Army. Uh, he wrote to me this morning, and he has hooked it up, and he has experienced JOO. Oh, there you go, the joy of oscillation. The joy of oscillation. He also sent me a note saying that he went to a local radio club meeting up there in Massachusetts. And you know who was there? Allison KB1 oh GMX, God. holy cow! And and I I just I just wrote in my notes here, TRGHS, the radio gods have spoken. If you go if you walk into a radio club meeting, and Allison is there, go back go back to the next meeting. Stay with that club. That's a good group. Anyway, I'm really glad that that Steve has the uh, has that radio on. He's got a lot of experience with STEM too, science, technology, technology, educational, all that. And, and experience in teaching kids about technology. So that's, uh, that's really useful. Similarly, we got an email from AJ, VU2TGG, Tango Golf Golf, over there in Pune, India. And he is inspired by the, the, the receiver project that Farhan was running, that Canada, Canada was running, Germany was running, and that we were running. And he's going to launch a similar effort at a high school there in Pune, India. Victor Uniform 2 Tango Golf Golf, IHA. And he's going to keep us posted on that. So really good to hear from him. And, uh, and good luck with the, the effort there, uh, AJ. We got an, we got an, I, I actually heard this guy, VU2DGR. I heard him on the air. And I tried to call him, but he wasn't hearing me. I, I've worked in India several times. So... Um, I, I called him a couple times, but he didn't hear me. There was a big pile up. But, you know, in the course of just listening to the pile up here, somebody said to him, fine business, Denny, and congratulations on the homebrew rig. Woo-wee, you don't hear that every day. No. So I, I did a Google search, and sure enough, he has melted a lot of solder. He is a for real home brewer. And so I have... Uh, appointed him the Wizard of Kerala because he's from Kerala, India. Wow. And so Benny, Denny, VU2DGR, is the Wizard of Kerala running homebrew rigs out of Kerala, which is in the southern, southwestern tip 
of the Indian Peninsula there. I got a I got a link link to him up on the on the blog. You'll see it all about him. So that was that was always interesting. I'm always interested when you when you come across a homebrew rig on the air, especially a homebrew sideband rig. Uh, Joe VK4BYER is working with kids on electronic projects in a remote Australian community. Mm. Fine business. Thanks thanks for doing that, Joe. Um, uh, we got an email from another Todd. Todd seems to be another name where there's a lot of ham radio operators who are Todd's. Pete, Pete, I think is number one, but there's a lot of Todd's too. We got an email from Todd K seven Zulu Foxtrot. He wants to get into home brewing. He's got a lot of experience from days in the air force with electronics, which will help him a lot. But he asked about what to do about getting into home brewing. And we, had, we advised him to start small, keep it, you know, don't bite off more than you could chew in the beginning. Start small. But some guys have ignored um, us and came up amazing. Remember the guy that ignored us, built that amazing radio? Oh, man, radio? lots of guys <laughs> ignore us. Most people ignore us, Pete. <laughs> yeah. We had recently had one guy completely ignore us and decide that he was going to plunge right in and his first first project was be, going to be to homebrew an S-Bit-X. Not just a Bit-X, an S-Bit-X. Well, and I, 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 didn't, I didn't want to... Be the I didn't want to be Debbie Downer here, you know. I didn't want to oh, say, that's the you guy know, that blew the chips, and he s- sends me an email to says, "How do I fix this? <laughs> I haven't got a clue." <laughs> you buy a new one, man. You let the smoke out. <laughs> well, I I didn't want to be I didn't want to be like I said Debbie Downer, so I just said, "Hmm, sounds like a very challenging <laughs> yes, project." Yes, yes. <laughs> it's like it's like in in Yes Minister, the old British sitcom, whenever they didn't want the the prime minister to do something. They would come to him and say, this is a courageous step you're taking, <laughs> Prime Minister. Courageous. <laughs> <He's>, whoa. <laughs> so I said, quite challenging yeah. there. I don't know. But good luck to Todd, Todd K7ZF. Then we mentioned Dean. Dean is, uh, is, has been fixing up his Helicrafter's worldwide receiver. This is what he needs the tube for. And he, he sent a picture of the dial. And I really got a kick out of it because it's got all these place markings like on the old broadcast you know general coverage receivers you'd have all these places rangoon countries that don't exist anymore (laughs) places that don't exist but this one was really cool because the 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 helicrafters worldwide receiver has ciudad trujillo there you go i was there at the beginning of august it's now known as santo domingo and i checked the date they changed the name of the city back to santo domingo after they killed Trujillo in 1961, <laughs> <laughs> but it's still there on Dean's uh, Dean's dial. Um, we got a good question um, from in the the Vienna Wireless Society has a makers group that that Dean started, and Dean runs it. And twice a month we get on the internet and talk about um, homebrew stuff. Our friend Dwayne is part of the group. Oh yeah, and um, in the group. A new home brewer came in named Mark. We were talking to him about the Michigan Mighty Might. And he followed up with a question, and it was a really good question. And he said, okay, the circuit is really simple, but how does it really work? So what I did is I said, hmm, I mean, we know it works. We know it's meeting the Barkhausen criteria because it's oscillating like crazy. But how is it doing that? And what does each of the components do? So I took a shot at how does the Michigan Mighty Might really work at the component level. I have, it, I have it up on the blog, and anybody who's interested, please take a look. I hope it I hope it answers Mark's question, and I hope he 
he does build a Michigan Mighty Might. The other, the other rig, the 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 ten minute transmitter, Cyprian over there in, in Romania has been singing the praises of this one. This one's a great rig too. It's 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 very very simple. So uh, either one, go for it. Build something like I that. Put a low pass filter on it, please. <laughs> Make sure you get a low pass filter. Please, you don't want to be disturbing please, the, the bands. Please. Yeah, Trip Cyprian does a low pass filter. His, and I, I used one in mine too please. when I put it on the air. I actually made a contact with the ten minute transmitter. Hey, um, uh, our friend out in Australia, Trevor Woods, he got he gathered up more information on another simple rig, and this is the the Islander. We had we had talked about different versions of the um, Cuba. Uh, of of the double sideband rig and um, all these different rigs. And, and there's one rig that developed later on called the Super Islander Mark IV. Ooh, the Super Islander Mark IV. And it was made in Cuba. It was a solid-state CW double sideband rig. But here's the cool part. They built it using parts out of old CFL bulbs. Why not? You know those little fluorescent bulbs that were kind of curly cues? They look like the double helix in a light bulb. Crack them open. I mean, um, Michael Rainey, AA1TJ, was doing this for a long time. And the Cubans were doing it also, and they were pulling parts out of there, finding parts that were usable at RF, and building Super Islander Mark IVs. I have this up on the blog. Um, Trevor got a lot of in- info that, that Arnie Coro had put out on Radio Havana, Cuba. So uh, fine business on that. Uh, another another old friend, Bob KD4 EBM. He has sent me another. He sent me so many kind of care packages over the years. He sent me recently. He sent me a Sony shortwave receiver that I had. It, it's it's the only, one of the few Sony shortwave receivers that has a BFO in it. But I had one again. Elisa got it for me. I think for a Father's Day gift, and I managed to drop it on exactly the wrong spot. Oh yeah. I dr- you broke it. It it broke it shaft. broke the BFO control. Yeah, and I couldn't get another one. And I, I came up with kind of a kludge or a clute kludge solution that didn't really work well. Anyway, uh, he sent me another one that's perfect in the case with the manual. So thanks for that, Bob. He also sent me a rig that I've been meaning to get for a long time: the QCX Mini. Oh yeah, Han Summers QCX Mini, man. This thing is a beautiful little rig, and I fired it up just here on the on the workbench, and I made a CW contact with the thing. It is it is really easy to use. What a great piece of engineering! I made a CW contact with the QCX, Pete. You know what I felt? I felt virtuous. There you go. There you go. I was on CW QRP. That that rig's going down the DR. It'll be perfect for down there. Thank you, Bob. Um, we got an email from Peter KD2OMV. K, uh, yeah, KD2OMV. He is one of the guys I talked to on 40 meter CW when I was using the ET2. Remember the ET2? On the board. Yeah, uh, on the board. It's up on. Yeah. Look, I have it up on the yeah, wall. It's yeah. it's become a piece of wall art. Yes, wall art. Um. Anyway, uh, he he wrote to me, and it was great to hear from him again. You know, we we heard about something down there in the Richmond area. I have a link here. There's a there's a there's an old timer in the Richmond area who has like a lifetime of radio collections there. Ham radio collections, ham radio gear, shortwave broadcast gear. It's a really nice looking little personally kind of curated museum. It's in the Richmond, Virginia area. And I I saw it and wrote to uh, Armand, W A one U Q O 
who lives down in the Richmond area and asked him if there's something that the club can do, can do about this down there to make sure that uh, these rigs all end up in the right place. So I'm hoping that Armand will be able to do something about that. You know, uh, Pete, we also heard from Mike WN2A. Mike is a, a fellow member of the QRP Hall of Fame and a for real uh, radio solder melter. He sent me a, a great package with lots of toroidal cores, Ooh. especially T50-6s. I have like a lifetime supply. I've divided it in half. Half is going to Solder Smoke Shack South. Half is staying here. Lots of other good stuff. Thank you, Mike. Thanks for doing that. I got an email from a fella, Nate, K-A-1-M-U-Q. Now, he told me that he was that he pulled out an old receiver, a Doug DeMaw design, that he tried to build, get this, 38 years ago. Boy, does that sound familiar, huh? That sounds familiar. <laughs> and I don't think he was aware of my own 38-year project. Lean back a little, Pete. You're in the dark, man. Got to get you in the light. Okay. It's because right. it's looking out the window, the camera. Ah, okay. And the sun, and the sun is not, coming yeah, up in California. So I got a glow about me. <laughs> there you go. When you put your hands up like that, wow, there you go. Don't do that. You can put your hands down. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, it shows you how early morning it is in, in, in California. Yeah. Now, the sun is rising in 709. California. 709, all right. So anyway, he, he told me that he had built a Doug DeMore receiver, one of Doug's designs, and thir- did it 38 years ago, couldn't get it working, and then pulled it out again, worked on it, and got it going. So I sent him back. I said, man, fine business, Nate. Been there, done that. Took me 38 years to get the uh, Herring, Herring A5 going. Yes. Uh, yeah. With the help from Dex down there in New, New Zealand, ZL2DEX, he told me I had wound the tickler coil on the BFO wrong. True. On, on, the, on the oscillator coil. True. Um, got an email from our old friend, great friend, Tony, G4WIF, over there in, in the UK. I had sent around this uh, this video, and I have it up on the blog if anybody wants to take a look, about uh, an old-timer named Gerald Wells. Gerald Wells was a kid during the 1930s who got arrested, basically, for trying to, to steal radio gear so he could be a, a, a for-real radio guy. And he was sent away to, like, a truant reform school as like a little 10 year old kid he was a little tiny kid but when he got to the reform school he found out that the maintenance guy there was also like a radio fanatic and the two of them got together and it just deepened his addiction to radio but anyway uh we i put this story up there uh tony 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 visited him tony had, had met with gerald right and a guy from the local radio club here the bb5oyp george he also had gone over and had visited Gerald Wells. Gerald's now a silent key, but both these guys got a chance to visit oh, wow. him. Cool. And so it, that was really good. Finally, the last one I have here, I got on with on 15 sideband with the 1510 rig the other day. And I just called CQ and I got an answer from a fellow, KL7MA. Now, he started out telling me how hot it was. It was like over 100 degrees. So I said to him, well, his name is Dean. I said, well, Dean, I'm guessing you're not up in Alaska. <laughs> I'm hoping. <laughs> he said, no, no, he's down in the, uh, I think he was in Oklahoma. But we talked, and he's another real experienced home brewer. Get this. He told me he had gotten on the air recently. I think it was on 17. Oh, yes. 
and he had worked West W7ZOI on sideband. Yeah, boy, that's a rarity. That's fine business. I said, man, the radio gods have spoken. There you go. Work W7ZOI. I, I, I told Wes about that. He got a kick out of it, too. Did, did, you, he, did you hear the story about uh, Todd, K7TFC, about his grandfather? I saw it. Well, tell us about it. Well, it seems like his, his grandfather grew up in Long Beach, and he, yeah. he started decided to become a ham radio operator, but didn't go. And the Navy came and complained. <laughs> Two Navy guys show up and said, you're running our transmissions in Long Beach. So he got, a, got an official ticket then, and he said at that time there were two tickets issued, one that gave you 500 watts and one that gave you a KW. So it was two classes of license depending upon the power, but it, I guess they started him on the right path. But his call was, uh, they, they didn't have prefixes. It was 6MS. It was like 6MS. Six, 6MS, six six something yeah. like that. That is cool. Yeah. That, is, that is a cool call sign yeah. when you're 6MS. Yeah. None of this W stuff. Yeah. <laughs> or K. Yeah. Or N. Do you, do, you, do you remember when, when the W call signs were the East Coast and the K call signs were the West Coast? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I don't think they're doing that anymore. Anyway. Oh, that was interesting. Yeah, I remember that story. Yeah, I remember that. Can you imagine the, the the inspectors showing up? Yeah. I mean, as as a kid, I lived in fear that the black FCC van would show up in front of my house <laughs> yeah, one morning and get the me loop. <laughs> for my harmonics. <laughs> <laughs> I got a phone call as a kid one time. I was I was transmitting on forty meters, and one of the local grumps called me on the phone and said, "Hey, you're also putting out a signal on twenty. Get off the air." <laughs> there you go. God, you know, thirteen years old, man. I thought that I thought that black van would be rolling up any minute to lock me up for spurious submissions on the twenty meter band. <laughs> hey Pete, thanks very much for joining us. We got we got to get back on our regular once a month schedule now. And that summer's over. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, this uh, you know everybody have a happy Labor Day, and uh, I I have fond memories. There were two dates: it was Memorial Day and Labor Day, and back east. The swimming pool, the public swimming pools opened up on Memorial Day, and the last day for the public swimming pool was Labor Day. So I mean, you you, you knew when, when the public swimming pools were open and we'd meet all the girls was <laughs> May thirtieth and September the fourth. I know it's we're near we're near the end of that now. So uh, anyway, have a happy Labor Day to everybody, and uh, and Pete, thanks very much for for seeing us. Seven three from Northern Virginia. Seven three from the left coast. Ooh, that's awesome. The Solder Smoke Podcast is produced once or twice a month using roadkill computers in an electronics workshop somewhere in the wilds of Northern Virginia. The podcast is available via iTunes and directly from our website, soldersmoke.com. Our blog, the Solder Smoke Daily News, is at soldersmoke.blogspot.com. Send email to soldersmoke, that's one word, at yahoo.com. Solder Smoke is listener-supported. And there are many ways you can help keep the podcast going. Please spread the word. Let your friends know about Solder Smoke, the podcast, and our blog. Put links to the podcast and the blog on your websites. Buy a copy of the critically acclaimed book, Solder Smoke, Global Adventures in Wireless Electronics, available from lulu.com.